0: Israeli startup creates plant-based steak with patent-pending 3D printing technology. Black Panther took home the 2019 Academy Award for best costume design for outfits that included an intricate collar and crown created using 3D printing. Austrian motorcycle custom workshop Vagabond Moto reworks a 1991 Honda NX 650 Dominator using 3D printing components. Tissue engineering moves closer to 3D printing inside the body. Israeli Defense Ministry develops first 3D printed unmanned aerial vehicle. 3D printed two-story structure unveiled by Dubai Municipality. From food and culinary to textile and fashion, from automotive to aerospace, from medical to construction, every industry is experimenting with 3D printing and exploring new possibilities by incorporating it in their manufacturing process. The role of a savior 3D printing played during this pandemic only cemented its position as a necessary pioneering technology, catalyzing its transition from experimental and special to specialized. And our guests today vouch for this in their article in the inaugural edition of the AM Chronicle Journal titled 5 Global Trends in Additive Manufacturing. Welcome to the fourth episode of AIM Infocast's The Journal Series with Aditya Chandavarkar and me, Abhishek Gokar. Today's episode is a special one as we have not one but two industry stalwarts who shall be giving insights on upcoming trends in the 3D printing industry not only from technical but also from investment perspective. Introducing our first guest, Jennifer Coyne. Ms. Coyne is the additive manufacturing leader at Wabtech Corporation, formerly GE Transportation leading the global additive manufacturing team to maximize benefits of additive manufacturing and further its adoption within the organization, overseeing multiple sites globally including installations in the US, Europe and India. Ms. Coyne joined GE Transportation over 13 years ago after getting a bachelor's degree in science specializing in mechanical engineering from Grove City College. She completed her master's in mechanical engineering in 2012 from Georgia Institute of Technology. She also has a certification in additive manufacturing for innovative design and production from the prestigious Massachusetts Institute of Technology. We also have John Barnes with us today,
1: who is the founder and managing director of the Barnes Group Advisors, uh, which is the largest independent AM engineering firm. He has a lengthy service in aerospace working to support prominent projects like the F-22, F-35, C-130J, the X-47B and the A350. So with this brief introduction, uh, we would like to straight away move into the session. So the first question is around uh, the article which both of you uh, authored for us in the AM Chronicle Journal, where uh, it rightly points out that powder bed fusion and directed energy deposition are the two widely known forms of 3D printing for the industrial applications. Uh, why do you think this has been the case so far? Or uh, what, what has made these two forms an industry favorite? What do you feel on this?
2: My guess uh, is that the popularity follows the investment. So uh, you have a few industries that really kicked off the investment in AM and, and drove what I think is uh, the development of the technology. And so for laser powder bed fusion, they aerospace, and, and it fits that technology very well. They need lightweight exotic materials and uh, high precision capabilities on the technology side. So that makes sense that laser powder bed fusion has really been driven by investments in from that industry. And then in the case of BED, um, I, I would attribute that a lot to defense and uh, aligning the repair of a lot of defense and very unique um, equipment in, in that area where it's hard to reproduce and maybe hard to find for those parts so in my mind it's uh, you know it's following the investment and, and pushing those two forward
3: yeah i would add um you know my i actually started with directed energy uh first and it was a blown powder system and so when you look at the process economics of the two they're not unrelated um and then you move from powder to wire in some cases wow. Because it closely resembled welding, so it wasn't mysterious to people, uh, or a cladding activity. Uh, then powder bed really came in, and it gave people the the detail. And I think uh, people love detail that you know directed energy can't typically provide. And so they kind of go after different ends of the market. And um, you know powder bed certainly has enjoyed a lot of success, and it's been good at materials like titanium and and the nickel super alloys. Uh, and to Jennifer's point, you know, it, it, it has to solve an economic problem. And so when you have materials like titanium and nickel, which are hard to machine and premium materials to buy, uh, you know, getting that buy to fly down or what I would have referred to as a buy to fly, reducing material wastage is a, uh, is a very good business case.
0: Uh, uh, moving on to the next one. Although uh, new technology, if you've seen 3D printing has been around for better part of the millennium. But adoption of 3D printing, now that has been at a slow pace. uh, Aerospace industry has been a front runner in adopting it, uh, followed by automotive and defense. And uh, construction industry has been really adopting it for the past five, six years, if you see. The medical and healthcare industry suddenly saw an uprise on a global scale in adopting 3D printing due to the pandemic for the past three months but many industries if you see like the energy industry are still taking it slow and uh, uh, to name a few oil and gas industry and the textile industry have just begun to get to know the ind- uh, know the technology in adopting so uh, do we owe this to uh, skepticism or uh, due to a limitation in material choice what do you think
3: so uh, you know coming from the aerospace industry i would say the adoption's been phenomenally fast <laughs> uh you know it's it's already flying on commercial airliners and it's been in uh, you know there's parts on a on a on a satellite that has left the solar system It's got over a billion miles on it so uh medical and aerospace were early adopters they've you know it, and also very high regulatory environments uh, if you look at it at a teeth for example that's been done for what a decade or more so i I think that there's examples that it's been there. But it is a disruptive technology, and so that's a challenge for a lot of industries to adapt because something that moves quickly also creates a hesitancy to uh, invest because you don't want to invest too soon. And you know, you know, it's just the usual thing. You you buy a computer today, and tomorrow, uh, one that's twice as fast comes out, and it's a third the price. Um, you know, this technology is very similar, so the large companies struggle with that. Uh, type of investment and, and, and have a tendency to wait. Uh, whereas there's a lot of people now who have that systemic investment is starting to pay off. You know, I, I think the the energy uh, world um, isn't that far behind They, you know, companies like Baker Hughes have hundreds of parts, uh, additive parts in in fielded service in some way, shape or form. So, you know, I think you can always find examples, maybe the examples kind of on the leading companies that are always on the front of innovation. Uh they're always out there pushing the boundaries. Uh but I will say that some of the technologies lend themselves to different industries, you know, better and it has to be comes back to that economic argument. It has to solve a problem. Um so I might uh sure Jen has a strong opinion on this so I'll, I'll uh, let her jump in.
2: Yeah I think I have a different perspective coming from a more industrial background not, not necessarily aerospace so I represent that second wave of um, adoption and and I think you know John you hit on it where you said you can't invest too early and that was um, you know my company's original uh, question was, are we too early on this? Are we getting involved in this before it's ready for our industry? Um, and, and we've come to the conclusion that we think we're at the right time based on, you know, the growth and the fact that we, we tend to not be seeing like a, a peak necessarily, but we, we've hit the curve of, um, we've hit the technology curve at the right point, we believe. so why was the adoption in some of these other industries uh, delayed I think part of it is um, could could be pushed back to the um, probably like the high cost of equipment and a little bit of the size limitations on powder bed and perhaps perhaps it is also tied to materials as you as you mentioned, but I am starting to see more common materials, like stainless steel 316 being really readily available and, and others as we, as we move forward. And, and then beyond that, it's about the, um, having our right applications, you know, with the right technology. So these powder bed fusion might not be the answer for everything in an industrial space. It could be, um, you know, we see more application or more, um, fast-paced or, or productive technologies, like say MJF or uh, BinderJet and things like that, that may end up um, competing with some of these traditional low-cost technologies that are used today in this industry.
1: Yeah, I think that that sums it up in terms of you know the evolution of how additive manufacturing 3D printing has been moving through different industries. Uh, moving to, uh, you know, to the next question. Uh, we feel that the current education system doesn't offer a lot on 3D printing. Maybe we are speaking more for this side of the world than uh, the West, perhaps, but do you think the university-level specialization courses in 3D printing or additive manufacturing is the push which industries need to really adopt this technology in a, in a holistic way?
3: So I think on, on both levels, the at the uh, collegiate level, but also on the postgraduate level. So once a person's in... In uh, the working side of things, uh, additive is something that is is a little bit counterintuitive to legacy manufacturing. And what we just continue to see time and time again is that you know you're going to struggle to make a business case if you don't really understand the technology, which which also is rooted deeply in the design element. And you know some of our and you know, we offer the training courses. Uh, our customers, you know, come to us and they've already made the connection that until our engineers know how to design for this process, we're, we're not going to meet the financial goals that we have for it. Um, and, uh, you know, I, 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 as a, a adjunct professor at, at universities, it's starting there. Uh, there's plenty of hope. Uh, even my kids in grade school, middle school, and high school—they have exposure to 3D printing, but it's it's at the you know very tacit level. It's not detailed. Uh, they kind of appreciate it, so they're coming at it thinking that this is normal, which is which has some positives. But they don't appreciate how legacy manufacturing does things, and so these two worlds at some point are are colliding now in the workplace. Um, for us, you know, the, there's just not enough trained engineers. And I think that's been one of the things that's really held the technology back. Uh, it's difficult to make the investment in training engineers. But if you don't, uh, you know, it's you, we just see it time and time again, it's almost a black and white issue, the companies that are really leaning in or at that 1% have engineers that know what they're doing when they're designing it. And they've had um, either trained formal training or informal on the job type training through years of experience. And so we're obviously strong believers that people should take uh, training, uh, which isn't a huge investment. Uh, You know, we offer it online and we offer it on site. We've done training in India. We've done training with Jen's group in India. As a matter of fact, that's how we met. Uh, So I'm a huge believer in it.
2: Yeah, I I agree. You know, and I think John, you hit on something, which I'll just uh, sort of build on a little bit there the fact that we have a lot of people who are well-versed in traditional manufacturing. And then we have maybe what's the, the younger generation coming up that it's more normal for them. 3d printing is a more normal thought and, and they can start thinking about the, the end part, not necessarily about the stock material where it starts with. Um, but what I find most valuable in my team is when I have a combination of those two things come together and that's where we, we get into a point where, you know, the post-processing doesn't kill the business case or where you have a, an AM part that also works well with the, the conventional means that have to come after. And I think that's a, a critical thing, too. But that comes from education of, of both and um, work in, working in both a manufacturing environment and along with this knowledge of the technologies and the processes and the design for additive that really brings the value because you just start to look at this as like, I want to print this casting. We're never going to get anywhere and the technology doesn't make sense. It's where you apply design for AM that you realize special use cases that, that drive the value for, for the technology itself. So I agree. We we fully support training and um, just um, are hopeful that it becomes a, a new tool, you know, and it's not necessarily the specialized thing in the future. But right now, that means we have to train it.
1: Yes, I, I think education and training play an important role in India as well. There are a few universities which have uh, started moving that direction, which will obviously give fruit a few years later. Uh, but but training also helps at the uh, kind of industrial level. But the education cycle, as well as, has started here. But let's hope that it keeps going and more universities offer these courses.
2: And just one more quick point on that. You know, it's it's not just the engineers too. We need uh, post-secondary uh, programs for training technicians and people to run the machines and the equipment and that. Um, just like we, we have machinist training and welding training and everything else. We, we need that same thing and those types of programs for our technicians.
3: Yeah, yeah. and I would actually add to that, you know, it's it's not just that. It's also the managers. The managers, if they don't understand the technology, they don't understand why the engineers need to have the training. And it's also supply chain. It's program managers uh, because those are the ones who are going to see the benefit. And it. This is the difficulty when you have a, a disruptive technology. It impacts many areas of the business. This isn't just a manufacturing tool. It it disrupts how you can make parts. It disrupts where you make the parts. It disrupts, you know, you can combine parts into one single one. Well, that impacts the supply chain. That impacts program management. Uh, yeah. So they all have to appreciate these benefits.
1: True, because thinking, thinking additively is also very important. Um, before before the whole process, uh, Process. It's important to apply those concepts at the early stage.
3: We need more people like Jen. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was a really great insight. Uh, moving on to the next one, um, a lot of experimentation has done has been done so far and is uh, is being done to uh, add new materials to the portfolio which can be three D printed. Uh, new metals, new polymer, composites. The craziest one I've heard so far is LUNA dust. And uh, they say they're doing these experiments to, uh, because there's a driving force behind this, is uh, to create a moon base. The rationale here is that it will be cheaper to 3D print a moon base on the moon itself instead of taking material from here to the, uh, taking material from here or printing one from here and taking it there. What is your take on this approach?
3: Well, I'll wade into that one. I'm not an expert in moon dust, uh, nor do I wish to necessarily be known to be one. Uh, I can just imagine the names that I would get called, but I I do have some experience having worked with NASA in the past, you know, and one of the reasons why they were looking at it, when you just look about a space station or or long flights uh, going to Uh, a format that is a machine that's fed by a wire or a filament is a lot more uh, flexible than having to to carry with you a a suite of tools, you know, you don't have to make sure that you have the right tool, you now just make the tool that you need when you need it. Um, So I think that there's a big value proposition in that uh, for for spaceflight. And and there's been examples in the past with uh, I think made in space um, sent a part up to the space station. Uh, you can send files uh, remotely from millions and millions of miles away if, if that's what it takes. And you know I think it goes back to Star Trek. You know they had the uh, the the systems to effectively make make whatever you wanted to. But uh, so I think that imagination is kind of what drives it. But I. I tend to believe that if you take the abstract and you just say sometimes you have to live with what you have because it's very expensive to move it a great distance and that's basically what a moon colony looks like it's what a Mar- a Martian colony looks like you have to exist with the environment that you have and um, you know I don't know too many other manufacturing technologies that would would really work you know in that environment uh, so i I don't see that it's Maybe necessarily hugely different with being able to make you know concrete. You're just using an aggregate from a, a different uh, planet or satellite. Uh, you 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 can do that. You need an awful lot of water to get there. So you're going to have something that's going to be needed to bind these things together. But uh, that's for the scientists out there to figure out. But I think in general, um, the idea of using additive in space flight. Uh, is is not science fiction you know they're using it to launch rockets today we've already sent stuff out of the solar system that's made additively and they have already done it on the space station
1: yeah th- thanks thanks john for your inputs on this uh, again you know you you spoke about trends in am in the next decade in your uh, article which you wrote for us but one sentence really came to notice uh, where you talk about from here on, AM will be less special and more specialized. Uh, can you both elaborate on this statement uh, from the article, or you know, what do, what does this really mean?
2: So the way that my AM journey started was uh, it, a little bit like, well, there's this new technology, additive manufacturing or new earth technology, which we're starting to invest in additive manufacturing. Uh, here's some time, some resources, some budget. Please go explore this. What does it mean to our, to our company? Um, and it, it felt a little bit uh, backwards. Normally, you come with a business case and you ask for money, and you then are given that to go explore it. And, and I think it's a little bit of like it was popular, you know, <laughs> everyone was checking it out, it was sexy, it was the new thing. But there there's a shift. Coming, and I can certainly see it where I am and sitting, um, you know, in in the the business climate that I'm in. But there's a shift to um, we need to do this for the right reason, and we need to invest in the in the right areas of additive manufacturing. It's it's less uh, doing this just because it's special and new and sexy, and more because there are significant. Um, and specific use cases that make sense with the technology. So I know when, when we wrote this, that's where my mind went. It was, hey, do this for the right reasons, not just because it's new and exciting and, and fun, but um, we, we got to look at the right areas and invest where it makes sense.
3: Yeah, and I, and I certainly agree with that. And I think we mean that it's more commonplace and less special. And it's more specialized because it's more commonplace so everybody's adopting it to their uh, particular set of requirements Uh, in some cases we're seeing the machine makers uh, be a little bit more prescriptive about how they're doing things you know whether they uh whether they, you know, want to be an open source printer and allow you to come up with your own parameters versus locking the parameters down, that has impacts to different types of industries. And being able to prescribe how many lasers are in a system, you know, it's the same box, but you can order it now with a different quantity of laser uh, that impacts directly to specifically what part you're making, it, it isn't necessarily related to anything else. Uh, and it's solving it's making that business case. And it, and this goes back to if you don't know how to bu- make the business case, then none of it really matters, because people's checkbooks are closing. Uh, for for the, the bigger players who got into it first, it's time to make money uh, on, on this technology. Now, it, it's interesting, uh, with the the recent events around the, the Coronavirus, uh, you know, additive got some different attention. It wasn't so much that we could make these uh, these shapes. That was probably already understood. It was that we could make these shapes where they were needed. And, and one group could design the shape and a different group could print the shape. Uh, so that has opened a door to the people who are more involved in supply chains uh, thinking about this and saying, well, this is maybe a new reality. And, and maybe it's not a new reality for some industrial companies uh, today, but might it be in three or five years and uh, you know for these bigger companies it takes a long time to 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 turn the ship or you know get the ship nudged in a different direction so three to five years really isn't a, a, a very long time horizon so i believe that you know this is part of that specialty thing everybody's using it for a different reason the good news is is they're using it uh the better news is is they're smart enough to know how to use it and, and it, but i think that's that's the gap right now. Uh, we don't want another coronavirus to come along to extol the virtues of, of additive, isn't it? It seems a lot easier to go take a training class <laughs> and, and get up to speed uh, versus, you know, be forced into this kind of desperate situation that we saw. So that that's certainly my hope. But um, I, I completely agree with with everything that Jen said, it's, you know, it's it, fundamentally, it's got to make some sort of uh, financial sense for people. And, uh, and there's a lot of ways to make that.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's something uh, valuable pointed out. It's it's important that people also have the uh, business aspect. I think what Jennifer was referring to is when when it started, it was more of a novelty factor. But it's now it's it's real. Uh, it's it's kind of the business end of using additive manufacturing. I think that's that's really the way ahead. Uh, we. You know, we've recently launched the am chronicle journal which which uh, you know you both have been part of with your article what did you feel about uh, the journal as such
2: yeah i just want to thank you for letting us be a part of this this is really exciting to see uh, such an in-depth coverage of multiple different areas of am and um, you know it's also specific to um, what's going on in the region of india and that's really important to me half my team is in india and I work very closely um, with building uh, the added manufacturing landscape there within Tech And, and um, so I'm very grateful to have more resources for my team and for, you know, our customers and, and our our coworkers around AM and, and enhancing the training, what's going on in the space and, and just uh, having a different perspective of, of the, the different content that you guys covered here, it's, it's pretty vast. So thanks for, for the work going into this and um, I'm excited to continue to see this coming forward.
3: Yeah, and I, and I agree. Um, I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to participate. Um, you know, we've, we've worked together previously, uh, I guess now both of us have worked you know, independently, but um, you know, worked with your network and, and the Chronicle in the past and yeah. you know we we're certainly you know we we you know we're engineers at at tbga so we're, we're just interested in, in kind of solving problems and working through requirements so our we don't see our role necessarily as selling additive as much as explaining how it fits into the world of manufacturing and and what it is and what it isn't and i and i so i think journals like yours bring around awareness which is good and and a certain amount of education and now you're you know I know you have designs on promoting more education more formalized education even down through the K through 12 so that's always good and anytime we have I mean thank goodness we have all these uh, electronic means to talk half a world away uh, as if we were next door Um, doesn't replace those uh, in-person meetings but uh, one day we'll get back to that and I um, I, I just think that, you know, in general, there's there's a world of information available on the internet, and convincing humans to access it, uh, you know, we're not living in a world of a shortage of information or data. Uh, what we're what we're living in is a world of people not having a desire to go access that that information. So uh, yeah. I think I think that's that's what's really optimistic about this.
1: Yeah. so that's that's our role right we're trying to be uh, the information source on am for the indian market so we are you know even even in these challenging times we are trying to create these various avenues where people get the information they want which can be useful once once they uh, start getting back to work you know along with our the new am journal or our website the amchronicle.com or these series of podcasts the idea is to kind of engage and provoke and uh, you know, talk about various uh, things which which will, uh, you know, kind of uh, ask, ask, at least at least people ask the right question saying is AM for us? Can we look at it? So that even if we do that, I think we will be quite successful at, at uh, what we are doing. So uh, thanks a lot, uh, Jennifer and John, for joining us today. Uh, and thanks for all your insights. So it, it's, it's been a great uh, session today. Thank you. Thanks. Hey.
0: Pleasure talking to you. That brings us to the end of today's episode. For the next episode, we have a guest who examines the growth of additive manufacturing industry minus the hype and offers tips on adopting this technology in your manufacturing process. Stay tuned. Visit amchronicle.com for more updates on additive manufacturing and follow the Indian 3D Printing Network and AM Chronicle pages on LinkedIn. Thank you for listening.